Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. The word children is a relatively recent word in human history. There were no children before sometime, I think, in the late 1800s. Really? Yeah, I can get the reference for you for your book if you're you're interested. There were just smaller people. There were just younger people. The concept of children was a concept that was invented. You know, so we don't view children as whole human beings. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 152. Today, we're talking about how to talk to kids with Oren J. Saufer. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful moms stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Course, and I'm the author of the upcoming new book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back, dear listener. So glad you are here today. This is going to be an awesome episode. I was so excited to talk to Oren J. Soffer. You are going to really, really enjoy this, this conversation. He wrote the, an amazing book that I will tell you about. Actually, let me just tell you about right away. How about that? That would be good. But I want to thank you for being here. So glad you are here. So Oren J. Soffer, he is the author of this upcoming book. It's out, actually. It's, it's called Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication. And he teaches meditation and communication nationally. He's a member of the Spirit Rock Teachers Council. He holds degrees in comparative religion, and he's a certified trainer of nonviolent communication and somatic experiencing practitioner for trauma healing. And his book, Say What You Mean is awesome. So I am so excited for you to sit down at the table with me and join me in talking to Oren when we talk about, you know, what are some of the pitfalls to avoid when talking to kids, right? This is like what our parenting comes down to, right? Is having conversations, talking to our kids in a lot of ways. You know, what are some of the pitfalls in communicating in general? So in this episode, I talked to Oren about his book, you know, which brings together mindfulness and nonviolent communication, which is a powerful way of communicating. And you'll learn some simple yet powerful practices to develop healthy, effective, and more satisfying ways of communicating. 
And some of the takeaways I had from this are thinking really there's listen up for these two questions that will really transform the way you talk to your kids. You'll hear us talk about the the cultural messages that are so deeply embedded that we're not even aware of them. So maybe this will help wake you up to them. And you know, how our communication patterns are actually quite physical. They're encoded in our nervous system. So it takes a lot to sort of change this. So before we dive into this this episode, there's something very directly related is that the Mindful Parenting course, which brings together skillful communication and mindfulness for all the skills we need as parents, right? It brings together these two big things because one without the other doesn't work, is starting soon. And you can get involved for free with the Mindful Parenting free training. It's a four-day live free training that I'll be doing coming right up in February 4th through 7th, 2019. So don't miss it. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training and be a part of it because it's going to be awesome. And then keep an eye out for the opening of the Mindful Parenting course, which you can join. And I have a super, super cool announcement for you. And that is that I have decided I just want to keep seeing my peeps forever and I want to hear the updates and all that. So we have decided as a team that when you join Mindful Parenting, you don't just get access to the eight-week course. You don't get just get access to a whole year of support, monthly support grows. We actually are going to invite you to keep coming back forever. Yeah, so we are going to keep access open forever for all the coaching calls, all the materials, all the support. So it's kind of like joining a team. You just can keep coming back and we will continue to support you. So you can learn more about that at mindfulparentingcourse.com or head over to mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. All right, now on to this episode. Oren, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, Hunter. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you could be here too. And as I was telling you, I was so excited about your book because I'm in the middle of writing, Raising Good Humans. And I can see from this beautiful book, which is Say What You Mean, that you saw a very similar thing that I saw, which was that these systems of communication require a lot of self-awareness and a lot of mindfulness. And you brought that mindfulness to that skillful communication, which makes me so excited. I'm not, I get a little excited for my podcast, but not quite this excited. (sighs) So anyway, I was thinking about you and your story about this. And I was wondering about what were the kind of communications that you grew up with in your family and and Mm. what were were the systems of communication like when you Mm. were a child? (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Well, mom mom and dad probably won't listen to this show. (laughs) So yeah, yeah. Thank you. You know, I feel very fortunate. I grew up in a Jewish family and I certainly got a good dose of should and, you know, be good and the kind of cultural messages that are so deeply embedded that we're not even aware of them, right? Mm -hmm. Concepts of right and wrong, should and shouldn't. You know, this is for thousands of years, this is how human society has created agreements to meet collective needs, right, is through a story about moralistic judgments, you know, that there is the way of controlling impulses and behavior is through shame, which is the primary tool for socialization, and the ideas of right and wrong, good and bad, should and shouldn't. And those are their strategies, their concepts that humans create. If you look at nature, there's no such thing as should. Should a tree grow or not? Should it have a branch here or not? You know, should this volcano explode? Or it's just things just are the way they are. Animals don't feel remorse. There's no right or wrong in nature. The ethical sense is a human capacity. It's one of the great gifts that we have as human beings, that ability to feel something moral in the heart. And so this gets languaged in terms of right and wrong, but then that has unintended consequences, I would say, because 
when we view things through that lens, it's very easy to disconnect from our humanity. It's very easy to view others as separate from us. And if somebody is wrong or bad, or they do something they shouldn't do, well, then what follows logically, they deserve to be punished. Mm. And that's a strategy for you know, all kinds of agreements that we have as a family or a society, but it very easily leads to violence. And so the perspectives of nonviolent communication, and I would imagine from the little I understand of Thomas Gordon's work in parent effectiveness training is to view things from a different perspective and from a different lens, from the lens of, of shared human needs that says, you know, well, this behavior is an attempt to meet some need. Mm-hmm. but it's not meeting these other needs of myself or of your sister or of your father or of our school or of our classroom and starting to teach children to source the sense of, of ethics internally. So this is kind of a long-winded way of saying, you know, my parents loved me deeply. They you know, instilled in me beautiful values of kindness and compassion and generosity and seeing people for who they are rather than judging people based on the color of their skin or their social location or economic status or anything like that. As I mentioned, I grew up in a Jewish family, so social change and contributing to society was a core value. And so I'm deeply grateful for the values that my parents instilled in me. And at the same time, you know, unintentionally, they transmitted the, the concepts and the ways of thinking that are so ordinary and kind of endemic in our society that I was just mentioning. And so that has all, all kinds of effects in terms of our sense of empowerment, right? When, when we think in terms of should and shouldn't, we lose a certain amount of agency and empowerment inside ourselves because mm-hmm. if I have to do this, if I should do this, now I'm in conflict, right? Because mm-hmm. if I don't want to do something, if I want to do something, I don't have to tell myself, Oren, you really should do this. You really have to do it. Come on, Oren, you got to get, right? Mm-hmm. Those kinds of thoughts don't need to arise because I'm connected with my innate sense of motivation. Mm-hmm. And if we really step back and look at it, from a clear and honest perspective, we don't have to do anything Mm. in life. We're continually choosing. Not only don't we have to do anything, like, well, no, I got to go to work. Well, you could stop going to work. You might lose your job and then you wouldn't have resources to buy food or a place to live and you'd end up out on the street. So that is a choice you could theoretically make, but it's because you value having a home, having food, being able to provide for your family that we choose to go to work. So it is actually a choice. So not only don't we have to do anything, but the other aspect is that we very quickly realize as we parent our children that we can't actually force or make them do anything. We Mm -hmm. can only make them wish they had. We can only make them (laughs) wish they had. So yeah. So these so these concepts are quite limited. And when we think in those terms, one, it disconnects us from our sense of authentic willingness and desire and agency to recognize, actually, I'm choosing to do this. I want to do this because it's going to meet certain needs or values that are important to me. And simultaneously, you know, you have to go to school, right? You have to clean up your room. It's time to go to bed, right? You have to go to bed because it's time to go to bed. What we communicate there with our children in an unintentional and unconscious way is we are subtly or not so subtly disempowering them from sourcing their sense of direction, choice, and agency internally mm-hmm. and, and starting to gauge what is acceptable and what they can and can't do based on an external imagined authority, what I should do, what I have to do. And then we begin to live in this way that is incredibly narrow um, and kind of oppressive internally because we've been socialized and conditioned to disconnect and disengage from our authentic truth. I know I've been talking- So yeah, no, no, this is beautiful. I love this. And you're speaking my language in so many ways. And so I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. 
This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And the season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. What you're saying is that when we speak in this language of should and shouldn't to our children, especially, and to others, but we are disconnecting our kids from their own innate willingness and desire to be maybe helpful or to do the different things. And so what what we're creating with this when we kind of maybe use power over them and, and you create these these shoulds, what we're creating them is maybe a constant sense of conflict of what I want is wrong Mm -hmm. and what I should do is what everyone else wants. And I can imagine that this is like a a very deep-seated foundational kind of belief that the vast majority of us hold this, that what I want is actually wrong. So I can't trust myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, it's so, it's so insidious. We're not often fully conscious Mm. of it. Yeah. The other thing that happens here, and I want to I want to give an example of this sense of should versus being connected to needs. But when we use our power to force our children to do something, in addition to what you just mentioned around being disconnected from our innate from our innate desire and feeling trusting that our own needs matter, what we do is we don't give them the opportunity to learn how to consider others' needs. Yes. So a healthy human being. When met with with demands, what does a healthy human being do? We resist. <laughs> Why? Be- right, because <laughs> autonomy is really important for you. So if your children are resisting you, that's a good thing. It, it means that they're in touch with a healthy sense of autonomy. So when we use our power to try to force children, we set up that dynamic of being in conflict of what I want versus what you want versus being able to help our children to understand, help help educate them to recognize what you want is an attempt to meet your needs. And I value those. And there are other people who have other needs. And I want to invite you to consider other people's needs. So one story, some friends were over uh, who have a young child. I think the child was about three or four at the time. And so, you know, like a three or four-year-old, the child is having fun, jumping on our couch, right? Why not? That's, that's pretty fun. So, you know, of course, Papa wants to respect our home and our couch and furniture and says, you know, no, 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 couch, couches aren't for jumping. You know, come on, off the couch. 
couches aren't for jumping, right? So there's no should there, but there's that implicit understanding. There are things that you should and shouldn't do that are and aren't okay. Well, why? Why aren't couches for jumping, right? Mm. So I explained to their son, I said, you know, we really like our couch. You know, well, first, actually, first what I did is I empathized with the kid. I said, wow, that looks really fun. You know, I love to jump too. You know, and then I explained, I said, you know, we really like our couch. It's really good to sit on too. And I'm a little concerned if we all start jumping on the couch, it's not going to be so fun to sit on. I said, here, come on over here. Why don't we jump over here together? Let's see if that's fun. And so he and I started jumping over another part of the room together, right? So that's just one very small example of reframing something in terms of a should. Couches aren't for jumping. You shouldn't do that. That's wrong. Versus why? Well, these people who like to sit on this couch all the time have a certain need, and there's another way to meet your need for fun. That's so beautiful because you said to that little boy, you said to him, hey, I see you and I hear you. It wasn't just like your needs are invisible, what's going on for you is not important and doesn't matter. You said to him, it matters to me. I see it, I hear it. And that acknowledgement is so important, so, so important. And then to, and then to say, you know, to explain why it's so beautiful. I mean, I feel like in some ways we are shifting our language a little bit. Like I saw at the art museum, you know, the art museum always has like, do not touch the paintings. Mm -hmm. But I saw a little sign at the art museum recently that has, you know, the circle over the hand that says touching damages the paintings. Yeah, exactly. Hallelujah. Right. It's so simple. What a simple shift. Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking about moving away from these shoulds, but I can imagine the listener looking at this and saying, but there are shoulds and shouldn'ts in life. Don't I have to teach my child the shoulds and shouldn'ts in life? Like that sounds a little crazy to me or like I can imagine this voice coming out. So so how do you respond to that with this? Yeah. So a couple different things. So one is um, when I hear someone say, but there are shoulds and shouldn'ts in life. What I hear is what I'm understanding there is there are some, some values that you have that are really strong for you. And you want to make sure that you instill those values in your child, perhaps partly because they're important to you, but also because you want your child to be able to function well in society and to get along with others, to be successful, to have friends and relationships that are meaningful. And you want to teach them the ways of the world. Is that, is that what you're after there when you say that, right? So again, what I'm doing there is I'm listening for the needs behind that strategy of, of using shoulds and shouldn'ts. And there are a couple different challenges here, and I think this really goes to the heart. This is not easy stuff. Mm-hmm. One of the challenges that is that, you know, this is not a communication technique. Mm-hmm. This is about transforming our consciousness. Mm-hmm. This is about transforming the ways in which we think and perceive our own experience and our relationships with others. These concepts are very deeply rooted. You know, perception is a very powerful function in human consciousness. It's what creates and determines and structures the meanings that we experience things through. And so should and shouldn't is a very powerful concept and perception, and we're deconstructing that. We are re-examining and interpreting why. Why is the should there? It serves a purpose. Yeah, there are things one should do in life if if one values this, if one wants that, right? That's the unstated part. So we're, we're making conscious that unstated framework that says, well, yeah, if you're interested in having friends, it's, you know, it's one should take an interest in others and listen and inquire about their life instead of just speaking about oneself, Right. So examining one's own assumptions and beliefs is one part of it that can be a barrier. The other part, and I think this is probably, you know, as if not more pressing for parents is time. Yes. (laughs) Not only does it take time to learn these tools, but it takes time to use them, particularly at the beginning when we're first learning them. It's a lot easier to say, get off the couch, (laughs) you know, don't jump. That's, you know, that's wrong. Don't do that. Versus it's taking, you know, that moment to pause feels one feel one's you know instinctive habitual reaction of no stop don't do that and then engage as a human being you know the word children 
is a relatively recent word in human history. There were no children before sometime, I think, in the late 1800s. Really? Yeah, I can get the reference for you for your book if you're you're interested. There were just smaller people. There were just younger people. The concept of children was a concept that was invented. You know, so we don't view children as whole human beings. Yeah, no, I know. We view them as lesser somehow. You know, children are the one place in society where there still isn't full agreement about honoring their innate autonomy and dignity. Uh, for good reasons, we have, a, we have a duty to protect them and keep them safe. And there's a lot of things that they can't do for themselves but there's still a tremendous amount of power over force and oppression used with the best of intentions in families and, and, and with parents. So children can understand these concepts even at very, very young ages, the concepts that they have needs and other people have needs and that we can learn to hold both and consider both. Yeah. So a colleague of mine who I uh, mention in acknowledgments of my book, the late Inbal Kashtan, who's, who did a lot of work with parenting in NVC, tells a story about her, her son, who she raised with these tools, three years old. Early in the morning, grandparents are visiting, sleeping downstairs in the bedroom below them. You know, 5, 6 a.m., her son is banging on the floor with a stick. <laughs> but what's a parent's job? Get the kid to stop banging so grandma and grandpa can sleep, right? Well, you know, we, we know where that's going. Tug of war, resistance. So fortunately, she had some training in nonviolent communication. She's been studying and teaching this stuff for years. So she says to her child, she says, sweetheart, grandma and grandpa are sleeping downstairs. I'm concerned that you're going to wake them. Would you be willing to bang on the couch? So her child, three years old, says to her, I don't want to, but I'm willing to. Mm, that's beautiful. So, so balancing she, his needs with yes. grandma and grandpa's needs right there. Bam. Three years old. So yeah. she asks, so she asks, right? And then she says, why don't you want to? He says, well, if I bang on the couch, it's not going to wake me up. So he's aware of his needs, why he wants to bang on the floor. He's trying to wake himself up. <laughs> well, why are you willing to? Because I want to consider you. Yeah. So that kind of a conversation is only possible when there's trust. When we've developed a relationship of trust with our child that they recognize, you know, we're not going to use force when it's not really necessary. You know, that, that we're willing to take the time when it's possible, given all the circumstances and pressures, to engage and to honor and recognize the child's needs and autonomy and do that negotiation, it's very rare to use conflict as an opportunity to connect. But when we don't do that, when we don't take the time to do that, we deprive our children of one of the most valuable lessons in life, which is to learn how to make peace. Yeah. How, how to deal with other people. How to yeah. deal with other... You know, and the, the lessons that we learn on a regular basis are the person with more power... Mm-hmm. you know, wins. Exactly. The person who's bigger wins. And then we see them pushing that lesson down onto, you know, onto the smaller kids and things yeah. like that. And so if we can, I know it makes me feel very excited to imagine the a generation of kids who might learn to deal with conflicts in terms of taking care of each other's needs, conflicting needs, rather than mm-hmm. the other way we think yes. about it. And, you know, when you spoke about how it takes time and it takes effort and it takes energy to to sort of learn this language right to sort of and but you also speak about there's a couple of things i want to kind of address in what you said yeah. you also speak about and i really love this that it's like a not a communication technique and mm-hmm. and you say this in your book too which i think is so beautiful like you know, you say that we, you know, if you just come at this, our intention and our way of approaching things really, really matters. You say we can make I statements and active listen all we want. If we're not genuine in our intention to connect, it's unlikely to bring us any closer. And I love that because mm-hmm. these are tools that I teach in my mindful parenting class. And, you know, I bring in this piece about calming down our reactivity and that piece about 
getting beneath the strategy to the intention is just so foundational because it, and your framework is so beautiful. Like it, Oren has a three-step framework, lead with presence. So be present, be there rather than in your story, come from curiosity and care, and then focus on what matters, which is so, so beautiful. You're so taking these, but then taking that sense of presence curiosity and care, and then learning a language to enact that. Because what happened for me was I was able to sort of calm down and come from presence, and then I would mm -hmm. say something, <laughs> at least when my daughter was younger, that was like what my mom might have said to me, Mom, yeah. I love you, that would cause her resistance again because it would my daughter had a very, very healthy sense of autonomy. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> and it was it would start that whole cycle over again. So that one without the other is ineffective, right? If if we can be calm and present, but then we are word language is unskillful, that doesn't really work. And likewise, yeah. it's wonderful to have skillful language, but if it's just a technique and if you're just reactive and you're just trying to manipulate the situation, that doesn't work either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We need both together. And that's why I found this combination of nonviolent communication with mindfulness practice and somatic perspectives on the body and the nervous system so powerful for transforming our communication habits and creating the conditions for more meaningful conversations, for having the quality of connection and relationship that we want in our life. Yeah. And, and what could be more important? So I, I, wanted, I want you to explain to the listener what somatic perspectives are, because I'm, I'm, I don't think that's a, a, you know, a defined term, but I, maybe you could do that. But I also want to understand how you were drawn to nonviolent communication, how you were drawn to mindfulness in your own story. Sure. I imagine there was something you know, it's usually, at least for me, it was a problem. Yes. <laughs> drew me to wanting to learn all this stuff. Indeed, indeed, yeah. Um, so maybe first I'll just, just briefly answer the question about what is this, you know, somatic perspectives or somatic practices. So the, the word soma just means body, so body-based. Um, and in particular, not, not the visual body that we see, but the body that we feel from the inside. So working more towards the felt sense and the experiential sense of being in a body. And the reason this is so important is that our communication habits and patterns, they're not just mental, they're not just verbal, they're not even just emotional, they're physical. They become encoded in our nervous system. So that conditioning that we were talking about earlier around conflict or difference that says someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. So all of those early childhood and even into adulthood experiences that we have where that's been the case, that, that gets remembered by our nervous system. And so that's why when there's a difference, a disagreement or an argument in life for so many of us, if we don't have training, alarm bells start to go off inside. Right? We start to get anxious, maybe we freeze or we go on the attack or we disappear or get defensive. Those, our nervous system kicks into gear based on past experience. So it's not enough just to be mindful and aware. It's not enough to learn the cognitive tools and perspectives of a communication technique. We also have to learn how to become aware of and contact the deeper patterns that are set in our nervous system and, and start to... Um, start to gently mold and shape them towards something that's going to be more conducive to the kind of life that we want to live, to the kind of family that we want to create, because that stuff is deep-rooted. So that's what's meant by somatic practice, being aware of and starting to address and work with that deeper layer of conditioning in the body, in the mind, in the nervous system. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so how did I come onto this onto this path in this way? So these these perspectives, these different practices of mindfulness and nonviolent communication and um, somatic experiencing, uh, somatic techniques, these came kind of in a series in my life in my late teens and then into my early and mid twenties. And absolutely, each one was sparked by some hardship or difficulty or pain that I was experiencing, and so. In my late teens, I came into contact with mindfulness practice 
um, through studying religion um, uh, and contemplative uh, paths um, in college. And I was going through a really hard time. You know, I was, um, I was actually, I was a child actor. I was living in New York City, running around to auditions, doing a lot of drugs, smoking a lot of dope. My parents were getting divorced. I had a falling out with my friends. It was, you know, one of those times in life where it seems like everything is falling apart. And I heard about this study abroad program in India where it was like no drugs, no alcohol, no sex for three months in a monastery, wake up at 5 a.m. every morning and meditate. And something inside went, yes. <laughs> you know, For a 19-year-old young man, I said, sign me up. I wanted to just clear the decks. So, um, so that's how I started practicing meditation and learning contemplative tools. Uh, but then what I found was a few years in, like five or six years in, I was having these wonderful experiences with mindfulness practice and feeling calm and peaceful and open-hearted and patient and compassionate while I was meditating. <laughs> and then as soon as I'd have a disagreement with a coworker or as soon as I would talk with my mom or dad or brother, you know, out the window. And uh, so I recognized, all right, something's going on here. This stuff isn't translating. It's not showing up in my relationships, whereas, which is where it really matters. So I recognized I need a bridge. I need something to help me bring these deep values and perspectives of contemplative practice into my relationships and conversations. And that was when I met Marshall Rosenberg and found out about nonviolent communication. And I was like, yes, finally, like the rubber meets the road. I've got some tools now to to work with the substance the real grit of what's challenging in life i've got the basis of awareness and presence and um you know kindness and compassion compassionate intentions and i'm starting to learn the mechanisms of how to speak that how to listen from that place how to bring this into my relationships and so it was i was like a sponge to water i mean i was just just soaked that stuff up and was so ready and eager to learn it and then um just a, a year or two after that you know hitting some blocks in my in my life and in my practice and in my relationships and someone one of my mentors basically saying, you know, there's this technique of somatic experiencing is the particular form that I learned founded by a man named Dr. Peter Levine, uh, that can help you work through some of these deeper patterns uh, that are not just, you know, about your thoughts or even your emotions, but that are actually kind of um, wired into your nervous system based on the intense experiences that I had uh, growing up as a child with mm. a mentally ill family member, and you might want to check this out. And so I did, and that was incredibly supportive to start to heal some of the pain that I was carrying, to start to um, get over some of the anxiety and, in particular, some of the um, some of the anger and rage and the sense of uh, not being seen and not trusting others that was there from the past, but that was still um, coloring my experience of life. And so, over time, you know, working with my working in myself with each of these techniques, I came to realize their power, and they started to come together and not feel so separate. And so, that's really where the book was born from was was wanting to share this stuff with others to say, you know, this stuff needs to be out there. So, you know, similar to you, like I teach classes and workshops, and and I also teach retreats uh, on this stuff. And so, putting all of that together. In a, in a format and a process that's accessible that people can take and use in their daily life, you know, with a relationship with a boss uh, where it's adversarial or there's not a lot of trust or a relationship with a coworker where it's, mm -hmm. it's dicey or someone's being passive aggressive and how do I deal with that? Mm -hmm. Or these more intimate relationships with our loved ones, our partners, our children, right? How do we stay connected to our deeper values and create the kinds of conversations and relationships that we know are possible, um, that we do touch into at, at, in, certain, in certain moments. That's <laughs> these kinds of relationships that, that we know are possible, that we do touch into at certain times and certain moments, but that we lose contact with when things get hard. Yeah, yeah. We tend to 
be at our worst with those we love the most. And it sounds like that was really important to you to walk that talk, like to have that be something that's was completely congruent from your your heart to your senses to your speech. Yeah, so um, cool. absolutely. That's so cool. Yes, everything. I, I completely agree. Everything you said, it was like, oh yes, as a teenager, I was like struggling into doing all this, all those things. It's so yeah. amazing how these challenges can become these like amazing teachers to to guide us to these things. So you talk about this idea that should and shouldn't, you know, creates this external motivation. So I've been talking about in raising good humans is talking about creating that internal motivation. But I know that people have a lot of trouble with this. Like we mm-hmm. have trouble because we kind of drink that, you know, it's just everywhere. Like we're fish in the water of a behaviorist culture who that thinks that, you know, we have to make people have aversion to things that are not good and, right. yes. and feel good about things that, that the reward and punishments. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. So can you talk a little bit about that internal versus external motivation and how the way we communicate can sure. create that or not? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Marshall Rosenberg, the, the founder of Nonviolent Communication, had a very simple and clear way of helping us to recognize the difference and shift our patterns around this. And I talk about this in the book. He said, and this is, I think this is great for all of us and particularly for parents in terms of internal and external motivation, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. So he said, ask yourself two questions. First, ask yourself, what do I want this person to do? What is the behavior change that I'm looking for? So if it's your child, you know, I want want my kid to clean up their room, do their homework on time, help out around the house, right? Okay, great. That's what you want. Now, if we stop there, we are likely to use, to rely on our habitual strategies, our learned mechanisms for getting our needs met and doing what we want, which might include, right, using force, should, shame, some kind of reward, like if you do this, I'll give you that, which erodes that sense of internal motivation. Mm -hmm. So, but if we ask ourselves a second question, we're far less likely to use manipulation, coercion, force, shame, or blame to get what we want. And that second question is, what do you want this person's reasons to be for doing it? 
Mm. Why? Why do you why do you want them to want to do it inside? Right? And few of us would ever say with anyone, whether it's a child or an adult, I want them to do this because they fear me. (laughs) (laughs) I want this, I want them to do this because they feel bad about themselves if they don't. No. We want people to do stuff because we want that we want them to understand how it contributes to our life, to their life, or to the well-being of others. We want them to have that sense of intrinsic motivation that they recognize and understand the innate value of what we're inviting or asking them to do. Mm. But in order to do that, in order to do that, we need to approach the situation from a different perspective. So when we ask, whether it's, again, whether it's a child or an adult, when we ask somebody to do something, if they don't know why, if we don't tell them what's behind our request or the strategy that we have, if it's in conflict with their strategies, they're going to fight it. So, you know, will you put your book down and look at me while I'm talking to you? Why? I want to know that you're listening, right? If we tell someone why, oh, our kid knows, oh, you want to know that I'm listening. Well, I am listening. You can talk to me. Oh, well, so there was a way for me to meet my need to know that you're listening and for you to still have your autonomy. There was a whole bunch of different solutions to these needs. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So yeah, and you talk about that in the book, that conflict generally occurs at the level of our strategies, what we want. And the more we're able to identify with our needs, why we want what we want, there's less conflict. Right. And there's more room to be creative. There's more room to hear each other and to connect, to recognize the value behind each of the choices that we're making or each of the things that we are going for, what we want. And there's more room to be creative. Like in that situation with the book, it's like, yeah, if you want to know that I'm listening to you, I don't need to put the book down to do that. I can, I can offer my reassurance. You know, I'm not reading, I'm giving you my, my attention. And, you know, I could say back to you what you said to me, if you want to confirm that I'm, that I'm hearing you. Do you have kids, Orrin? I don't. I've worked with kids a lot over the years. I've taught mindfulness in the schools. I've done job training. And so I've spent a lot of time with kids. But uh, (laughs) as of yet, I do not have children. Ah, they're incredible teachers when they they live with you 24 hours. It's so true. And they're incredible teachers when they they don't live with you 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And that, that brings me back to, you know, what you said before about that idea that we look at kids and treat them as less than. And, and I think that your, your book and what you're teaching here in, encourages people to look at all people as, as whole and as complete and to give them that respect. So for the listener who, who wants to bring some of this into their life, you know, they want to bring some of that presence. They want to communicate more skillfully, but they may be worried about having the time to implement mm. a whole nonviolent communication yeah. course. What are maybe two or three things that you, you feel are most important to focus on? Sure. That's, that's a great question. Thanks. I'll say one thing maybe that comes before that, which is Staying motivated is maybe not before, but staying motivated is really important Mm. because Mm -hmm. it does take time and it can be challenging. And so I think that one aspect of integrating these tools is staying motivated. And a great way to do that is to pay attention to the outcome of our behavior when we're, when we're on automatic, Mm. when we are, relating, speaking, engaging habitually, are we happy with the results? You know, rarely. I I know for myself, when I'm (laughs) relating habitually and automatically, I'm rarely happy with the outcome. So if we keep noticing that, if we keep noticing when we lapse into our old habits, how 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 the end result is not so much what we would like, that's really motivating for us. So that's one, that's one thing to set that's up. Beautiful. And I want to add to that too, that Please. we are so um, imbued in a culture of shaming and blaming that our, the voice in our head, when we yeah. start to pay attention to the outcome can be, you know, horrible. If you, you know, if you listen to this podcast all the time and you want to be more mindful and you want to speak really well, and then you hear yourself just barking orders and commands you think, oh my gosh, and you start to be 
give shame and blame yourself internally. So when you are paying attention to the outcome of when we're on automatic, dear listener, I really invite you to really consider that a win because you're not you're seeing it, you're paying attention to it. And you're that pay, that, that is a great motivation. See it as a motivation. See it as a, actually a win because you can't change anything you don't see. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, for bringing that up and seeing, seeing in the seeing is the possibility for freedom. Yes. Yes. In the seeing of it. And, you know, I think that, um, Compassion, self-compassion is so important here to recognize, you know, when we do fall short of our expectations, as we do so often as human beings, and particularly, you know, um, the parent, the friends I have who are parents, um, to recognize we're doing the best we can. And those habitual behaviors themselves are strategies to meet needs right? To be able to identify, yeah, when I raised my voice, you know, and said that I was wanting cooperation. I was wanting to make sure that I got to work on time to be able to bring that compassionate gaze to ourselves and recognize the things that we were, the, the, the good things that we were trying to accomplish. And then to also mourn, <clears throat> to mourn, <clears throat> excuse me, to mourn the needs that we didn't meet the need mm-hmm. for kindness, for tenderness, mm-hmm. for, you know, mm-hmm. being more patient mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, another, th- another thing that's really important when thinking about integrating these tools, and then I'll get to some concrete tips, is you don't have to do all of it. In fact, it's better if you try not to do all of it. And I talk about this mm-hmm. in the book, is that it's one small change at a time. Yes. Just take, <laughs> just take one tool that makes sense, that you feel like it's accessible and you can practice and begin using it and use it every day until it becomes second nature. One small change in your communication will make a world of difference if you stick with it over time. It takes you in a very different direction and starts to transform all of your relationships because we're communicating in all these different areas of, of, of our life. So a few ways that people can listen and can start to work with their communication and make some changes. So one very simple way is, is just to pause, just to try to bring half a breath, just one moment of leaving a little bit of space to come back to your deeper intentions, to allow the wave of anger or reactivity or impatience or frustration, whatever it is that that impulse that's pushing you forward to say, say or do something that you know, is not the most helpful or skillful thing in the moment. If you can pause, now you have a little bit of choice. The more aware we are in a conversation, the more choice we have. So this is one one really concrete way to start to work with communication. Doesn't need to be a long pause, but recognizing that that space of just one breath can change what I say next. Yeah, and it's very, very rare that we actually have to save our kid from running into the road. So you can take that pause. (laughs) Exactly, yeah, or reaching out to the stove or the blender or whatever it is. Um, So that's one tool. Um, The next, you know, and we've talked about each of these already, so it's really just reiterating and articulating. The next is, can you come from curiosity and care? Can you remember, you know, this intention to understand, to say, okay, what, what's going on for you? What is it that you're wanting? And for towards oneself, what is it, what's, what is it that I'm wanting? Can we bring, bring forward this curiosity to see what really matters here? And this is the, this is the third tool to train ourselves to focus on what matters. Mm-hmm. To start to try to listen for, this is a very powerful and transformative practice, to start to listen for the deeper human needs that may be at play in any moment, in any situation, whenever we remember, you know, to try to view our child's behavior, our own choices and behavior through this lens of deeper human needs and say, all right, what am I after here? What's really important to me? Or what, what is my kid getting out of this? You know, is this about fun? Is it about, you know, I feel like they're provoking me. I feel like they're trying to get a rise out of me. What is this about for them? You know, are they feeling a sense of power? Is this about them actually exercising their sense of agency as as an autonomous individual? Is this playful? 
You know, does this, is this fun for them? You know, are they trying to connect with me in some strange way? You know, they, <laughs> they actually want a deeper sense of connection. They want some attention maybe, right? This, is a, this, this starts to change the whole atmosphere of the relationship and the conversation when we can shift our perspective to inquire about what really matters. What are the deeper needs here? Oh, this is so beautiful. Oren, I feel like, dear listener, this is like a, a wonderful masterclass. There's so many things you could take here and work on for months from now, which is beautiful. So I really encourage you to get Oren's beautiful book, Say What You Mean, A Not Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication. It's gorgeous. It has a lot to offer. And, you know, I've got it all underlined and and marked and, and all of these things because I'm, I'm really, really enjoying it. So Oren, how can people, you know, besides going to get the book, go get Say What You Mean, how can they connect with you and find out more about your teaching and everything you're offering? Great. Sure. Thanks so much, Hunter. So they can check out my website, which is orenjsofer.com, O-R-E-N-J-A-Y-S-O-F-E-R.com. If they want a free guided meditation series and a short ebook on contemplative practice, I warmly invite you to sign up for my email newsletter. I send out a couple emails a month that I write myself. Each one has a teaching or a free article or talk that I've given in it. And the easiest way to do that is actually by text message. So if you send a text message to the number 44222 with the word guided, G-U-I-D-E-D, it'll walk you through the steps and you'll get signed up for my newsletter. So just text the word guided to 44222. Yeah. We will include all of that in the show notes at mindfulmamapodcast.com. Oren, I really appreciate what you've put out into the world. Mm. I think it's really the perfect time for this to, you know, we need more eloquent communication. We need more looking at what do people need, understanding each other's needs, and we need much more curiosity about Mm. each other. And so you're helping people bring this into the world with a, a real sense of groundedness and a real sense of a real foundation, just really heart-centered. And I, I really feel like this is going to have ripple effects for many, many years to come and for many, many mm. people and, and families. So oh, I, I just you. want to thank you for what you've done. It's really beautiful. You're so welcome. It's it's my pleasure. It's really, it's really an honor and a gift to get to connect with people and share these tools because they've been so powerful and transformative and meaningful in my life. And there's nothing I want more than for people to be able to create the kinds of relationships and connections and conversations that they long for and which I know and we know are possible because as you said, you know, we need this more than ever in our society right now. And if we can start to do this in our personal relationships, if we can learn these tools uh, step by step, we can start to bring it out more into our communities, into our societies, our organizations, our governments. Yeah, yeah, it, absolutely. It starts it starts with you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Oren. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on the show, Hunter. Didn't you just love Oren? Such wisdom. I really, really enjoyed spending that time with him. You could tell I was so excited. Oh my gosh. <laughs> But yeah, like we need to transform the way we communicate. We're just, it's, there's, there's so much there. So if you want to transform the way you communicate, not only can you go get Oren's awesome book, Say What You Mean, but we are having the Mindful Parenting free training happening very soon. And so you can check that out at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. So I hope you'll be there. We're going to learn about what you shouldn't say to your kids. It's right in there on that free training. So go ahead and join up. And uh, if you can't make it live, we'll send you the recording. It's at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. And I'm wishing you a beautiful week. I'm wishing you peace, joy. I'm wishing you skillful communication, all that great stuff. I, I hope it for all of us. And um, sending you sending you lots of love. And I can't wait to talk to you again next week. All right. Ciao. Namaste. Are you frustrated with parenting? Do you want to practice conscious, compassionate parenting, but you don't know how? It's not easy, and there's no roadmap for this. Until now. 
I'm Hunter Clark Fields, creator of the Mindful Parenting Course, and I know how frustrating it is because I've been there. I struggled as a young mom, and when I found myself yelling and triggered by my child, I knew there had to be a better way, and there is. Mindful parenting is different from other parenting trainings. They don't tell you that all of that good advice is as good as useless when our internal stress response is triggered. Mindful Parenting teaches you research-based tools and practices to reduce your stress response so that you can respond rather than react. And it teaches you exactly what to say so that you can create willing cooperation from your child. You can learn more and enroll at mindfulparentingcourse.com and you can join us for a free live training coming up soon where you'll learn why your kids don't listen to you, how your brain undermines your parenting, and how to create cooperative kids without losing your temper. Sign up now at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. I'll see you there. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.